And now tonight, as we come to 1 Samuel, we come to the timeline for the nation of Israel. It's almost exactly 1100 BC. So they've been in the land about 300 years, give or take some change. And then this book pretty much goes from 1100 BC to about 110, 1010 BC. It's about a 90-year book. It really focuses on three people, starting with Samuel the prophet, then Saul, the first king of Israel, then David, the king who would replace Saul. And it's trans- transitory in that it goes, Samuel is the last of the judges. So he's the last of the judges, but he was also a prophet and a priest. So he's very unique in his calling and what God has for him. And of course, we're going to get to Samuel tonight in the text. And then Samuel leads the way where he ends up recognizing Saul to be the king when the people of Israel ask for a king. And then eventually David is the king that God uses to replace Saul. So we go from Samuel transitioning to Saul and the king. So we go from the judges to a king, the first king. And then we go from the king from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, who looked like a king to everybody. He was the tallest, most handsome man in the land. He definitely looked like a king. He looked like that guy. And then God replaces him with David, transitory again to David being the king. And the first part, it's the preparation of David to be a king. And then when we get to 2 Samuel, he begins to begin his reign with the seven and a half years of the tribe of Judah, and then eventually all the tribes of Israel. So this book is that timeline, and that's what we get. So tonight, we're going to pick it up in chapter 1, and we get the story of Samuel being introduced to us. In fact, the first seven chapters really revolve around the rise of Samuel the prophet. And then chapters like 8 through 15 really focus on the rise of Saul, and then 16 on really take us to King David and the preparation of King David to be the great king. So tonight and next week, we'll really be focusing on the life of Samuel. And so with that background, like we saw in the book of Judges, where we learned things about Samson before he was born, similar background to the life of Samuel the prophet. This is how we read it in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathium, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. So they're from the tribe of Ephraim. And he had two wives. The name was one of Hannah, the other Pania. Pania had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And we know that the tabernacle was in Shiloh at that time, so Jerusalem was not yet the central place of worship for Israel. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Paniah's wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So this story begins with a desperate mother, not yet a mother, a desperate woman whose wife wanted to be a mother and to provide a child for her husband. Of course, it's a story of Hannah, who is the mother of Samuel the prophet. Looking at 2 Samuel, my own devotions, and seeing David with his two wives, and seeing here where Elkanah has two wives, and thinking about my brother who's had three. My brother kind of makes light of it 
to kind of take the sting out of it. But seeing what his life has been like having multiple wives and children from multiple wives and how that works. And we know with blended families how that can be. Obviously, in our society, you can't have two wives at the same time or you can't have two husbands at the same time as well. Uh, there's good laws that prevent that. And just reminded that it's, a, it's, a, it's not God's design. You know, like God's, you know, a man and a woman, we just saw that with Ruth and Boaz, but even listening to Pastor Chuck teach this study, he, he brought up how it, it really is impossible to please two women, even if it's impossible to please two men. And those of you that are married realize, I've been married almost 34 years, and I'm still figuring out how to be a better husband and how to please my wife of 34 years. We understand that. So when we read about this culturally, I'm like, how, how did, like I was really thinking about David, where when the Amalekites came and took his wives and his children and all that, when he was with the Philistines, and he had to chase them down from Ziglag, and I was just like, his life was challenging enough, but he had two wives at that time. He actually ended up having more wives than that. And it's just, whenever you get outside of God's design, a man and a woman, it's, it's just going to always create different things. And I always tell people, I've done enough weddings and memorials to tell you this, that even when people get divorced and get remarried, if there's, especially if there's kids involved, they're still involved. Like, you're still married. Like, my brother and all of his journey, his ex-wives are still all in the picture in various ways at various times under various circumstances, and it's still, it's still there. So this is a difficult situation, and it's going to have difficulty coming from it. What's interesting, of course, is Elkanah loves Hannah. So he has two wives, but the one with the children is not really the desire of his heart. He, he loves Hannah. Hannah's very special to him, and he loves her. And yet we read that her affliction was from the Lord. You caught the terminology, the Lord closed her womb. When God withholds things, when God, when things don't go our way, a lot of times people will blame God, like, why did you let this happen or that happen? And particularly when it's evil, that's unfair because there is self-determination and there's things, it rains on the just and the unjust. But there are times for sure where God allows difficult things or challenging things to test us, to weigh us in the balances. Much like when Job lost everything and his wife said, curse God and die, Job said to his wife, we've accepted blessings from the Lord, shall we not accept adversity as well? And then Solomon would even write in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time and purpose for everything under heaven. And there are mountaintops experiences and there are valleys. And I don't ask for valleys. I ask for mountaintops because I know the valleys will find me either way. I just want to be prepared for the valleys when they come my way, as do you, because they reveal what's really in us. And in this story, this opening scene with Hannah, the Lord had closed her womb, and that was between her and the Lord, and we'll see that in just a moment. But what gets my attention is how Pania provoked her. Literally, the terminology is she provoked her. And we would say this like in sports, like she was in her head. Like she got in her head space and just mess with her, and she made sure that she was miserable. And let's just be reminded right now, there is no shortages of demonic entities and evil human beings who want to be in our headspace to pollute, clutter, accuse, and confuse our headspace and shift us from the sure foundation of faith and confidence in the Lord to being frustrated with things we have no control over right now. So protect your headspace, because really almost all news is designed to provoke. Almost all news is designed to provoke and to push buttons and emotions. And it's just, it's not worth it. We need to protect our headspace. And if, if we feel like, ah, I just feel overwhelmed, like 
I lost my job because of this, or this is going this way for me, or whatever. It's like there's so much that can make us feel helpless right now that are be- that's just beyond us. There's agendas, there's laws and mandates and all these things that make you feel so helpless, but don't let it come in your headspace that belongs to the Lord. Because it will provoke you and it will unsettle you and it will move you from the, the good things that God has for us. God's people can sing praises and rejoice no matter what's going on around them. That's the beauty of the peace of God ruling in our hearts, as it says in Colossians chapter 3. So we're just reminded to protect our headspace. She wept and couldn't eat because her headspace was violated by another person who had no business being there. Now we read on. Verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the infliction of your maidservant, remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she's consecrating her son, if she has a son, to be a Nazarite. That's the Nazarite vow, the no razor on the head. Verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke with her heart, within her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away that wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul to the Lord before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman or daughter Belial, for out of the abundance of my heart, complaint and grief have I spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the Lord God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. Well, Hannah learned what we all need to learn to do is to give it to the Lord. That's why it's so important to have quality personal time with the Lord on a daily basis. So you can cast your cares upon him and give it to him. We don't want a mediator between us and the Lord. We, there's nothing wrong with someone coming alongside you to encourage you, but you know, we're all individual souls. And ultimately, we're going to stand before the Lord alone. We're going to face the grave alone in most cases. And the Lord's going to come for us individually. And we all have to come, as they say, come to peace, come to terms with our maker, as they say. And, and, and it's just really good to have that strong personal relationship that you have with the Lord. It's not piggybacking on Pastor Joey or someone else. My wife always says in Vermont, she just saw me go right off the edge of a cliff. And, and she's like, well, he's worthless. Lord help, you know. Like she already knew that, but that was affirmed in her life, even the more so in the challenging trials that we faced that year in Vermont. It's really important that we have that walk with the Lord. And we do bear one another's burdens, but in this context, being able to go before the Lord and be able to pour our heart out before the Lord. Because sooner or later, life's going to bring us moments where it's just us and the Lord excruciating pain, heartache, testings, trials, tribulations, and tragedies. And we'll find out what we're made of. And we might be surrounded by people when we're facing death, 
But in the end, we're, we're going to face that moment alone. And we need to know the Lord as our good shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. And he's a good shepherd that comes for us. And when you can pour out your heart to the Lord in your personal time with the Lord. I tell people, pastors and leaders and the women you look up to, they have time for you. They can take your call. They can pray with you. We minister here in the body of Christ like we like to. But you can't call me 24-7. But you can call on the Lord 24-7. You can call upon the Lord anytime. And he's going to hear you. He's our Abba Father. When we belong to Christ, we have all access all the time. You know, there's people that always answer the phone when you call. And there's some people you always know, like, they're not going to answer, but I'll leave a message or better to text them. But, you know, they say, especially in the business world, when you run a company or whatever, you need someone, that armor bearer, that you know is going to answer that phone every time you call. Or if for some reason they can't, you know they know the call came in and they're on it, Johnny on the spot, as quickly as possible to get back with you. And all the people I know that are CEOs or assistant vice presidents and stuff like that, they'll tell you, you've got to find that person. It's very important. And then you kind of build a relationship with that person that when you call them and they call you, you have that respect. Well, again, that's human to human horizontally, but the Lord is always there vertically. He's always there to get that. Like you, you can call and leave a message, but you don't have to leave a message for the Lord. If you text the Lord, the little bubbles pop up. He's texting you back. He might be saying, I'm not saying anything to you right now. Silence is good. But he's there. Call upon the Lord. And to be able to pour out our heart to the Lord privately and personally is super important. And to come to the house of the Lord and be able to pour out our heart to the Lord. That's why it's so important to try and clear our mind before we even come and prepare our hearts. So when worshiping and we're singing these songs, you alone are God, that we're not trying to find the traction in the flow of the day we're in the flow right there. And we're part of the ministry of the Spirit going on right there. And we can be worshiping and pouring out our heart. And we can give to him the frustration of the day, the joy of the day, the conflicts of the day, the things you didn't see coming that brought out the worst in you or the worst in other people. And you can come in here and you can give that to the Lord. What Hannah did here is super important because ultimately we don't ever want to, we don't want to go out in the day, facing the day, having not just being good with the Lord giving that to the Lord. We don't want to carry those things. We don't want to carry bitterness of heart into the workplace, onto the freeway, onto Beach Boulevard or Brookhurst or whatever. We, we want to give those things to the Lord every morning. And then also, too, when we're gathered in the house of the Lord, we want to be able to give those things to the Lord so we can walk out of here with a clear vision for the kingdom and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. That's what we want to do. And she poured out her soul before the Lord. And that is what we are able to do through faith in Jesus Christ, is pour out our soul before the Lord. Life happens where human and the human experience happens. And sometimes we're just moving our lips and we're just praying in our heart, in our head, and we're crushed and we're frustrated, we're exasperated, and we got to give it to the Lord. We got to pour it out to the Lord. And then we want to walk away from that time with the Lord that our faith, our countenance no longer a certain way. We can't fake that we're not, we can't fake that we're happy when we're unhappy. We understand that. There are people right now I know going through very grievous times and times of great sorrow and times of great tribulation and testing and trials, open-ended trials. We can't fake that, but we can frame it at the foot of the cross 
at the throne room where the rainbow is over the Father's throne in Revelation 4. We can see the four living creatures. We can see the 24 elders, and we can say, worthy is the lamb, and we can go out there and face this day and face difficult things. Go to work when you've been falsely accused, and people are looking at you that way. They look at you when they falsely accuse you. Or when people say what's good is evil and evil's good, and that you're the evil, but really, in God's economy, you're good. And you can face that. You can face that, and you can stand because you've poured out your heart to the Lord, your soul to the Lord. He wants us to do that. That's why we're told, come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need, for he cares for us. And he's our great high priest, as it says in Hebrews. And that's what Hannah did. And in doing so, she, she gave it to the Lord, and she found peace, and she went on with life, and she made everything right with the Lord, and she put him on the throne. And unfortunately, some people just go from people to people to people to people, dumping their their problems on the people and not really receiving the healing that the Lord has for them or the perspective the Lord wants to give them. But we want to be able to pour our soul to the Lord and go out into the world and, and be, be real. We have the emotions we have. We have the experiences we have. But we definitely want to give it to the Lord so we're seeing the journey and being carried through the journey. I've seen people in just great sorrow of heart. Uh, Brian Jameson, when his, when his 10-year-old daughter Trinity died from cancer, I watched him go through that, and I watched him after she passed away. I did her memorial. But he didn't stop living. And he, he gave that to the Lord. It took years. In fact, it took a near-death experience in Haiti to just suddenly, he said the Lord, that a part of his heart died when his daughter died. But he was in, in Haiti when they're almost abducted, that the Lord gave that part of his heart back. He never thought it would come back. And that's life. This is life. Verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, returning, came to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, so intimately, sexually, and the Lord remembered her. Wow. That's a powerful verse right there. She gave it to the Lord, and then God gave her the child. And so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, because I asked for him from the Lord. So Samuel means heard by God. Her prayer was heard by God, and she gave him that name because she knew God heard her prayer. Now the men Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifices, sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until... The child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there. Man, it's so awesome when you can bring your first fruits to the Lord and worship the Lord with your first fruits, your first son. So much joy. When, you know, when just in general, when you commit a consecration to the Lord and you commit a sacrifice, Lord, I'm going to give this house to you, or I'm going to give this vehicle to you, or give this relationship to you, and you really give something to the Lord, and then you reap the fruit and the benefits of that, and it truly is the Lord's, it always was the Lord, it's the Lord's anyways. Like, we know everything is the Lord's, but he has to help us learn it's the Lord's. 
Children are from the Lord. They're heritage from the Lord. But the best thing God can ever teach parents is that they really are from the Lord and they belong to the Lord. And the parents, the sooner parents learn that, the better, because they'll do them well when their kids are adults and even are middle-aged adults. It's all the Lord's. The journey is short. And there's something joyful about when you really give something to the Lord and it truly is the Lord's, you're free. And you can worship the Lord. She let go, that burden, that heartache, that sorrow, and she found peace and her countenance was changed. And a couple years later, she shows up with the toddler and she's like, he's the Lord's. And the joy, and this chapter ends with them worshiping the Lord. That's, that's, you know, because think about this. We just went through everything with Naomi. Don't call me pleasant, but call me bitterness. But here, we're told that she was of great sorrow. We're told that the Lord withheld her. The Lord literally did not give her a child. But then when she turned all that over to the Lord, he gave her the child, and she gave the child back, and she's able to worship the Lord. There's a lot there to think about in our relationship with God. He's so personal. And she testifies. The Lord has granted me my petition, and his name means the Lord has heard my prayer. He's going to be one of the greatest prophets of all time. He is going to ordain the first king of Israel, and then he's going to ordain the greatest king of Israel, apart from Jesus Christ himself, King David. This boy is, as I said, a judge, a prophet, and a priest. You know who else is a judge, a prophet, and a priest, right? Jesus Christ. The priesthood, according to Melchizedek, Hebrews tells us, not the Levite. And he's the judge of the, the world. He, oh, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgments to the son, is what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. And that Jesus is a prophet. He's the capital P prophet from the law that Moses prophesied of. Samuel is a little type of Jesus, a little prototype. So those struggles we have with the Lord, those things we give to the Lord, you just never know what great glorious plan has for it. We just came from the book of Ruth where we learned that, but here we go again, same thing. Now we read on in chapter 2, the prayer of Hannah, which is very similar to the prayer of Mary in Luke chapter 2. A lot of similarities in these prayers, a thousand years apart. Hannah for the first child having been barren, and then Mary for the virgin child, the, the child Jesus, born, born of her as a virgin. So this is what Hannah says. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn or strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there's none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she has many children, has become feeble. That is, she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them, and he will guard his, the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For, the strength, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the strength, the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, 
but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So as Hannah dropped off Samuel to, to be there at Shiloh with Eli the priest, she had this incredible song, that this prayer song, if you will, very uh, poetic, very uh, imagery, and all these things that are beautiful that you get with Old Testament poetry, like the book of Proverbs or the Psalms of David, which would come not long after this. A couple things that get my attention. Of course, she makes very clear that God's going to deal with things. Look, look, at, look at verse 2. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Her joy is not in circumstances and letting people in her head. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. See, if we exalt our strength, that's not real strength. But our strength is in the Lord. Let the Lord fight our battles. Some men trust in chariots, but we will trust the name of our God, David said in the Psalms. She said, I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. That's a heavenly perspective. When you can smile at your enemies and you say, well, I don't have enemies. Well, if you love Jesus, believe me, you got plenty of them. And they're trying to destroy you and your faith and your children's future right now. But don't live in your headspace. And just, life is so short. I feel sorry for people who just get their buttons pushed all the time by things they have no control over. And it poisons their mind like a bad well with brackish water. And they never live life. And they call themselves Christians. And they get so worked up. People send me stuff, and they, they mean well. They're like, hey, you need to address this. You need to say this. You need to tell people this. No, I don't. No, I don't. I need to give living water and pure water. I need to teach three chapters of Samuel and just let the word do what it does. You don't need me to tell you what's going outside these doors. You, can, you want to, <laughs> That's your business. You want to come here for brackish water? No. We've got the living water. I want you walking out here smiling at your enemies. People attacking you falsely at work. People attacking you in the neighborhood falsely. People treating you rudely because of your personal convictions and your self-determination. I want you to be able to smile at them. <laughs> and guard your headspace. That's what I want you to do. That's what the Lord wants you to do. Or as Paul said, none of these things move me. See, that's the key, to not be moved. But I smile at my enemies. How do we smile at our enemies? Because we rejoice in the Lord. Like, these, all these masters of the universe that think they're shaping, a, you know, the great reset of a whole new universe. Like, they're not doing anything but just being men. They're just being what men do in every generation they've done. If you know history, they've done it before. And if you know history, the end of the book, they're going to do it again. And one man's going to have all the power of the devil to do it. And his name is Antichrist. So what are you going to do except worship Jesus? Life is short. You step into eternity when you're 21, like Melissa Henning, Jeremy Camp's first wife, or when you're 10, like Trinity Jameson. I mean, you step into eternity, you step into eternity, you step into eternity. It's short. How do we get to 60 so fast? Ooh. I've been thinking about things, so I'm moving on 61. I've been thinking about things when you're 60. Like, I kind of feel sorry for people that aren't 60. I, you know, because <laughs> it really is all going to hell, but that's another topic. Um, but, you know, I, I have such wonderful memories growing up, the way life was. And in the 70s, we get my parents' country squire station wagon, and there was my mom with her beehive hairdo and my dad with his Marine Corps crew cut. And we go off to Cleveland and visit the relatives. And I'd go to Cleveland Indian Games when we'd go to Cleveland. 
And we go to Wisconsin and go see Fred, who served in World War II, my other grandfather. He bought his Japanese rifle that he got and all these other things from World War II. And I'd go to the, the bookstore where my grandmother worked, and I, I had all the Hardy Boy books. I read all the Hardy Boy books, even quite a few Nancy Drews. And I, and I had them on. I, I could read them in the car. I was most people can read in the car. And, you know, it's really flat on the 80 from Cleveland to Madison. It's all flat. And I just, and I get to, I get, you know, these are, these are wonderful memories. Then they moved to Florida, and, I, and we, we'd cross, you know, when you cross the Florida state line, come from the north, like from Atlanta and Tennessee, right when you get to the state line, there's all these palm trees. Like, it's so, there's no palm trees before that. I was like, we're in Florida. And I just loved it. When they moved to Sarasota, and we'd be at the beach, and it was Top 40 radio. Remember Top 40 AM radio? That's all we listened to. You'd hear Bye Bye Miss American Bye 20 times on a one-day journey to Florida. Life is short. Enjoy it. Have good memories. Cherish them all. Don't let brackish people with brackish water poison it and take it from you. Smile at your enemies because we're going to glory. We're going to glory. Yeah. Top 40 radio with the king. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. It's like, yeah, you know, it's good stuff. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. Like, those are really good memories. Look what she says here, too. Uh, verse 3, the Lord is God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Oh, now, that right there, that could be a topical on Saturday. Probably won't be, but man. The Lord knows not only what we're doing, but the motives of why. By him, actions are weighed. Because, you know, we talk about how the Pharisees, Jesus said, oh, you do this and you do that, but you do it to be seen by men. God knows. It's funny because we're, we're going to read about soon enough how David ate the showbread and he lied. He lied to the priest and then Dog the Edomite ended up killing like 80 priests and Saul was pursuing David. And yet God knows David's heart and David honored the king Saul and it wasn't in his heart to lie about being on an errand for the king and he felt terrible about what happened. And what's so amazing to me about David eating the showbread and that story coming up in Samuel is that Jesus refers to that story about mercy and empathy and compassion. God weighs the actions of our heart and the decisions of our lives. And Pastor Chuck, again, used to say so often, I'd rather do the wrong thing with the right motives than the right thing with the wrong motives. Because a good heart can always keep being redirected in a good way, but a bad heart is often impossible to fix. The Lord, by him, actions are weighed. You know, multitudes, multitudes in the valley decision is the day of the Lord in the valley decision. Like we're weighed in the scales. I think I speak for all of us. When we're put on the scale, we want to be on the right side of the weight, whatever it's supposed to look like. Keep the heart pure. And, and have good intentions. Not so much excuses, but because I, I don't like excuses. My wife doesn't like excuses. Society doesn't like excuses. But when I, when, I, when I have like what we'd say game film where things don't go right a certain way with me or I respond a certain way or said things a certain way, you know, like I, I like to go, well, Lord, you know, why, why did I respond that way or why did I say that that way? And 
Like, and I go, well, no, my intentions were good right there. Like, I had good intentions right there. Like, I didn't wake up and say, man, I can't wait to do this that way. But, you know, my intentions were good. And, but then other times the Lord's like, no, you're prideful. Sit down, you know. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's get that because that's no good. Uh, still, though, like, we need to, that's why we want to have that strong walk with the Lord. So he can show us the intentions of our heart. Like, what's your motivation here? Like, what's, what, what are you hoping to accomplish right here with this? Because we're weighing it out right now. So often we have a self-willed thing. We put a little Jesus loves me on it and say, Lord, bless this. But let's be really careful that that's not what we're doing. We want to be led by the Lord. A man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his ways. A woman plans her steps, but the Lord directs her ways. So we want to really just delight ourselves in the Lord and let him guide our steps and not delight ourselves in our agenda. Just let him do it. Let him do it. Beautiful song. This, this, the prayer song, song of Hannah. Now, verse 12 on, we get some stuff here in chapter 2 that's unpleasant, but it's the human experience. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle, the cauldron, or pot, and the priest would take it for himself, all the flesh that he brought up. So it's like their pay, like their barbecue. So they did it in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for the roasting to the priest, for we will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if a man said to him, No, they should really burn the fat first, that you may take as much as your heart desires, then you may do that. He would then answer, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The sons of Eli were bullies in ministry. They lorded over people like Nicolaitans in the New Testament. Nico to rule laity over the laity. They're bullies. Like, and, you know, I suppose you get some of this in Southern California. Bully church where the pastor micromanages everybody. Most of us would not think like that. We just would naturally like, hey, I'm not trying to lord over your life. I don't want you lording over mine. We're all come into the living well and let God guide, guide you. He's going to always be there for you. I might step into eternity tonight. So I'm directing you toward the Lord. But there are people who love power in ministry and they, and they bully people and they beat them up to give more money. They beat them up to give them more power and they beat them up to control their personal lives, who you can marry, who you can't marry. These are the things that become cultish, but they happen in regular everyday churches too. When we were in Virginia in the South for four and a half years pastoring there, I was stunned how many times people would come to our Calvary Chapel, not that we're like the superheroes, but we were just a Calvary Chapel. And people would come with stories about like how overbearing and, and controlling the churches where they came from, these bully churches, where people felt called by the Lord to leave Virginia and move to South Carolina. And the pastor's like, God would never tell you to do that. He would never tell you to leave this church. There's no place for that. And God will deal with that. God deals with the bully leadership and the bully church, for sure. These guys are, they're like, hey, aren't you supposed to take the offering when it's cooked and you just put it in there and then it comes out a bit? No, we'll take when we want to. We can take the fat, whatever we want. Listen, whose was the fat, by the way? The fat was the Lord's. Man, don't take the Lord's fat. The fat belonged to the Lord. And they're like, we'll do whatever we want. They didn't know the Lord. They're in ministry. They're hirelings. They'll do whatever they want. And the guy's not going to tolerate that for too long. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, verse 18, even as a child. He wore a little linen ephod. He's a little, little cute little toddler with his little priestly robe. 
Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So like she said, the Lord in her song, she talked about there's more children have come and she did have more children and how blessed she was. What a joy it must have been to bring that robe every year to, to, to Samuel. What a joy. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting. So these guys are sexual morality in the ministry. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know, my sons, for there's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. What a contrast verse 25 and 26 is, by the way. Verse 27, then the man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they're in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? So here comes a prophet randomly to Eli, and he starts with back in Egypt. So now a prophetic word is coming to Eli. Did I not choose him out of the tribe of Israel to be my priest, to offer my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offerings, which I've commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel of my people? Wow. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall be consumed before your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And then I'll raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before me, before me, my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. You know, there are some prophecies that happen in the Old Testament that are very sobering and serious. And they're sober and, they're sober and serious in the New Testament, too, lest we forget that God struck down Ananias and Sapphira as well. This is a real warning to ministry leadership. Again, ruling over people, misrepresenting God, and fleecing the flock, and, and doing uh, evil things. And God knows you go back now to this verse here, verse 30. Those who honor me, I will honor. That's a positive, and I just really like this for us right here, kind of wrapping up the evening. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. Jesus said if we confess him before men, 
he will confess us before his Father. To honor the Lord isn't just to say, praise the Lord, but it's to truly bring, as best we can, the character of the Lord into a situation. How we proactively treat a situation, how we reactively respond in a situation, to honor the Lord. If our motive on a daily basis is to do the best we can to do what's right on behalf of the Lord as a servant of the Lord, Again, when God weighs us, that's a good thing, and that's a beautiful thing, and God will honor that. We don't have to honor ourselves. We don't need to exalt ourselves. We want to be faithful. And if we learn to be faithful in the little things, like Joseph back in the book of Genesis, he'll entrust us other things and give us greater increase to be entrusted with. So we want to honor the Lord in, in how we deal with the testings and the trials and the tribulations and the tragedy, with the pleasant things and the contentious things and the difficult things. The human relationships right now on planet Earth are so strained and so volatile. We find that almost all the service sector is much less now than it was three years ago. It's hard to expect an increase of improved service in any service sector, on product you've purchased being delivered and the quality of the delivering of those products, the quality of the production of those products. When you have to deal with bureaucratic things, when you have to, you don't get people anymore and you have to call these people and you get this, you get that, you get here or there and people can't just problem solve something in the most basic skill set imaginable. And I want to be thankful for people working and so do you. But we are being stretched. I used to get upset with truck drivers driving across country because truck drivers kind of they, they kind of rule it. It's like surfing pipeline with a bunch of Hawaiians out. They get all the waves they want. Truck drivers on the road. But you know, after all we've been through the last couple of years, I'm like so happy there's truck drivers picking stuff up and taking it somewhere. Aren't you? I mean, really, like something like truck drivers are like highly esteemed. It's like, I'd be like going by because we had the transit vans, we're kind of near. I'm like, hey. You're like. We want to be that way. We want to honor the Lord in how we treat people and bring quality to our situation. And when there's a lack of quality, I'm learning. I, got, I need to handle it better. The medical field, of course, is very frustrating right now for different reasons. Just trying to see your doctor, trying to get a referral, trying to get a follow-up, trying to visit someone in the hospital. It's very challenging and arduous time so honor the lord be super faithful with your tax returns be super faithful with how you treat people do the best you can to respect everybody and appreciate the work they're doing i want to be more grateful for people that are working for 15 dollars an hour in california and i want to encourage them to keep working and that's how we're going to honor the lord as things get more chafing and all these things are going on, and most people do pay attention to the news, and most people are drinking from a well of brack water. Keep that water pure. Keep our thoughts pure, our hearts pure, and, and recognize when we could do better and, and try and respect people as human beings. That's going to honor the Lord because Jesus loves people, even people that frustrate you. Smile. And that's how we're going to honor the Lord. I think it's a good word for us because if we honor the Lord in how we see people and how we proactively interact with people and respond to people, then that's something God's going to be really pleased with because that's the Jesus style and that's who we want to be because we're his church in 2022. 
and we're the solution. Contrary to many things out there, we're, we really are the solution. We're the light, we're the hope, we're the ambassadors. So may God encourage us to just, just do what's right. Honor the Lord and know that he'll make it straight. He's got our back.